For those in the house, those online, our Bibles are open to the 30th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter number 30 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you and want one, there should be one in the pew rack right in front of you. And you can open up to the fifth book in the Bible. Near the end of the fifth book of the Bible, as we begin to uh, start a slow descent in this series, which has occupied much of this year through this wonderful Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Today, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the necessary discipline of repentance. I don't know about you, but I'm a NASA fan. I love the concept of space exploration. When I was a kid, most kids I know, when you ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up, probably eight out of ten of them would say they wanted to be an astronaut. We were all amazed back in the day. We tend to take that stuff for granted today. But I'm old enough to still remember watching Walter Cronkite in July of 1969 when we put a man on the moon for the very first time. That still boggles my mind. I don't understand that. I don't understand how that is even humanly possible. And yet, uh, there's talk about possibly putting a man on Mars or a woman on Mars. Can I have an amen from the ladies this morning? Uh, and I love watching how they send these satellites to the outer reaches <clears throat> of our galaxy and then somehow, some way, beam these beautiful color pictures back in ways that help us to glory in the creative majesty of God, seeing things that we as mere mortals would never otherwise possibly be able to see or even imagine. All of that amazes me. And I was amazed just a couple, three weeks ago when I was watching the news and found out that there was an asteroid out there and NASA scientists had sent a spacecraft after it just to see if they could possibly intersect with it and hit it. Y'all keep up with that at all? And I'll be dogged if they didn't do it. If they didn't send that satellite beaming pictures back to the earth all the while getting closer and closer and closer to that big hunk of rock uh, meandering through the outer reaches of the distant space and it intersected right with it and they hit it. And then the camera panned uh, to that mission control center uh, where all of those highly trained, sophisticated engineers were partying like it was 1999. Amen. Just like they'd won the Super Bowl on a last second kick. And I think that's important, you know. They wanted to know if they could do it because Hollywood's got us all scared that the big one's coming, right? And it's going to blow us all into extinction. And so now there's great confidence that we've, we can do it with a small one. Maybe we can do it with a bigger one. Hit it just enough to knock it off its trajectory. Have y'all ever been knocked off your trajectory before? Have y'all ever felt like things were going, particularly spiritually, or maybe even personally, things were going pretty well? Things were going well down at the office, down at the plant. Things were going well in the marriage. Things were going well with the kids. They were all just perfect and obedient all the time. <laughs> Everything was just going good. Man, my spiritual life is good. I feel in tune with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, something blindsides you out of nowhere, and it hits you hard. And it knocks you off of your trajectory so that you feel kind of lost and not quite sure how to find it again. That can happen in a lot of ways. 
Uh, maybe there's a financial crisis in your home that hits or a job scare. Maybe there's sickness. That can knock you off your trajectory. Some kind of health warning. Maybe it's a relational problem, keeps you awake at night. You know, personally, <clears throat> my, my experience has been that when I get knocked off of my trajectory, the thing that tends to knock me off of it more than anything else is me. Temptation comes along and I give in to it. Pride gets in the way. Selfishness, I wanna do it my way. There's always a price that's paid because of that. The Bible couches it in terms of sin. Nothing will knock you off your spiritual trajectory faster than the decision to sin. And thankfully, when that happens, when you are knocked off course, there's a way to get your life back on course. I'm grateful for that. And the way to get your life back on course, the Bible says, is to begin with a common spiritual concept we find in the Bible, but one that nobody really likes all that much, and that is the discipline of repentance. Repentance is stage number one when it comes to getting your spiritual life back on course. And Moses, as he begins this final sermon out of the three that comprises the book of Deuteronomy, knows that his people are going to need to understand repentance <clears throat> because there is a high likelihood that the people of God, chosen though they were, were going to drift into sin. And that's why he now turns here in chapter 30 to the necessary discipline of repentance as he begins this final message to them. Let's read our text, the first 10 verses, or at least a portion of it, uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And if you're able, I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of the holy, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of the living God. Moses says, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all <clears throat> that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Verse 8, and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Father, that's our heart's desire today <clears throat> as we gather as your people in your house for the purpose of worship. We want to turn now to you with all our heart and with all our soul, not just try to fit you into an otherwise very busy schedule. We need to be reminded today that you're to be our very life itself. 
And so I pray that you'll speak to us through this important passage of Scripture and through this important concept we'll be talking about today and help us to examine our own hearts to see where we are and where our life's trajectory needs to be. We ask it in the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ, thanking you for the precious word and all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you, Hillcrest. You all may be seated. <clears throat> Again, let me remind you that the book of Deuteronomy has got a little bit of history at the beginning and a little bit of history at the end. And the long narrative in between are the words of Moses to the people of God, this second generation of God's people to be precise. In three sermons, or three addresses, as scholars tend to call them, and uh, we have looked at the first two in great detail, uh, and as Moses begins this third and final sermon to the nation of Israel, he gets to some important final instructions about their future. In fact, if you kind of look at the way that the sermons of Moses are articulated, the first one is basically in the past tense. He's looking backwards explaining to this second generation many of the faults and problems of their first generation, their disobedience, and uh, how God dealt with it. And then he gets to the longest of the sermons, which is the second one, and he deals primarily with matters of theology, matters of the law, and how it applied to their present, and why it was important, and how they should know the law and be fully committed to obey the law. This particular final message is designed to point them ahead. Moses knows he doesn't have long to live and he's wanting to get them ready for the land. And part of what he does here in this third and final sermon is confront the people in terms of what they're to do when they sin. Moses kind of anticipates that the people of God aren't going to always get it right. I've certainly found that to be the case in my life, haven't you? You don't always get it right. We need to know when we don't get it right, what to do in order to make it right, and how to respond <clears throat> to the disobedience and to the punishment of sin that tends to come with it. And the instruction that he gives here is really very simple. It's bound up and defined in a single word, and the word is simply this, repent, repent. And let me just say, that's an indispensable quality to a healthy Christian life. I call it the discipline of repentance. Because repentance is often misunderstood. Many Christians believe that's what you do when you get saved, and that's true. But they think, well, you repent, then you become right with God, and you never have to mess with repentance again. And the fact of the matter is, that's a lie of the devil. I think repentance is a daily discipline for the growing believer because you're probably not going to live a 24-hour period in absolute perfection for the rest of your life. And so we're always going to have something that we're going to have to deal with spiritually that's less than ideal. And repentance is, again, the first stage in dealing with that. It becomes a daily discipline for a healthy, growing disciple. In fact, repentance is so important. Did you know that when it comes to, ministerially speaking anyway, repentance was the first word out of the mouth of Jesus Christ? It's Jesus' first ministry word. And it's the first ministry word of John the Baptist who was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they came preaching, they came preaching the same thing. And the first word out of their mouth was the word what? Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And let me just say, if repent is the first word of the preaching of Jesus, I'd say it's a pretty important concept, wouldn't you? In fact is, since the beginning of the people of God, 
Repentance has been an important spiritual concept. So as Moses continues to prepare God's people to enter the promised land and take it in a godly way, what do his words here in Deuteronomy 30 communicate to us about why then as now repentance is a necessary discipline to be practiced by the people of God? Well, there are three things I want to point out today. The first is that repentance is necessary to counter sin's consequences. Or to state it in an even shorter way, repentance is necessary because of sin. Did you hear me say amen? If sin wasn't present, there'd be no need to repent. But because of the pervasiveness of sin, repentance becomes not only something that's important, but something that's like necessary on a daily basis. It's crucial, but it's almost universally disliked. Uh, there was a neighborhood church near the one I pastored in my first pastorate several years ago. It was a fairly new church that got started. And I was amazed. I was having a conversation with our student pastor one time. And he was talking about the student ministry of this newer church. It had been around for six, six or eight years. And he said, you know, one of the words that they've determined they're never going to use is the word repent. I mean, here's a ministry that determined this is just a word we're going to avoid. Because they felt like it was too off-putting to people. They felt like people would be prone to stereotype the church if they preached a ministry of repentance. And I just kind of hung my head and shook my head uh, when I heard that. Because to me, to ignore the preaching of repentance is blatant disobedience when it comes to the Word of God. I mean, if it was Jesus' first word when Jesus came preaching, it ought to be our first word when it comes to drawing people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important because it reminds us that we're not perfect. It reminds us that we fail. It reminds us that <clears throat> our way is not better than God's way, never has been and never will be. Repentance is important because it's a reminder that we're sinful people. And the problem, the reason most people don't like the word repent or repentance is because it's a blatant reminder of their sin. It reminds us that we're sinners. But it's a beautiful concept. Can I just say repentance is not a four-letter word? Somebody say amen. It's a beautiful concept because it reminds us of the grace of God. If we need to repent, repentance in and of itself reminds us there is a way back to God. It reminds us that God wants to draw us back into fellowship with himself. It's a reminder of his grace, even in this Old Testament book that's so often associated with law. We are all sinners. As I said last week, we're all what? Canaanites, every one of us. We deserve the judgment of God. But as was the case with Rahab the prostitute there in Jericho, God freely accepts those who turn from sin to him in faith. And speaking of that concept of turning, uh, that's the basic idea behind the word repent. What does the word repent mean? Well, there are a couple of words in the Bible that are translated repent. One of them means to turn, and the other one means to change. But the most common word is the word turn, uh, and it implies an about face, or what we might call a U-turn. Many times when we hear the word repentance, we think of an emotional concept. What is repentance? Well, repentance is feeling sorry for my sin. Well, that's a good first step, and it's a good start, but that's not what repentance is. The Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. 
in which there is no regret. So it's not feeling sorry for your sin, which is a necessary first step, but that's not repentance. The rich young ruler, the Bible says, turned away from Jesus sorrowful, but he left Jesus. He left Jesus unsaved. He was sorry. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He knew something wasn't right, <clears throat> but he didn't want to do the action that Jesus told him to do. So the Bible says he went away sad, sorrowful, but not repentant. Now, when you repent, there is a change. It's a redirection of life. Your trajectory that was off course now gets brought back to the right course, and everything about you changes. The way you think, the way you act, the entire outlook of your life. I think maybe the best biblical definition of repentance I ever heard is just a quotation from the Bible. It's a statement that the Apostle Paul makes in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verses 9 and 10. Here's what he says. Watch it on the screens. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. In other words, the kind of reception the Thessalonians gave to the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And how you what? Say it out loud. How you turned, watch this, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Now, in your notes or in your Bible by 1 Thessalonians 1, you need to write repentance because that's what it is. It's a turning from sin or idols here to turn from idols to turn to God for what purpose? To serve Christ and to wait on the coming of Christ. That's exactly what repentance is. We couldn't say it any better. And it always bears fruit. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that bears the fruit of a changed life. But you've got to take a step. It's not just feeling sorrowful or remorseful. It's what those feelings of sorrow and remorse because of the conviction of your heart leads you to do with your life that makes it true repentance. Several years ago when we lived in the Branson, Missouri area. We used to come to Florida on vacation. We loved coming to Florida. I just never thought I'd lived here. Now, 20 years later, I have been, and the Lord's been a blessing. But we used to come here <clears throat> to swim in the water and to go to the beach. And, of course, back in the day, there was no GPS technology that existed at the time, and so my wife, my precious wife, was the navigator, and she had all the maps spread out on the dashboard of the car. How many of you remember those days? Would you say amen? Had all the uh, maps spread out on the dashboard of the car, and we were driving along, and I thought everything was hunky-dory until I saw a sign that said, Welcome to Andalusia, and I knew that I didn't need to be anywhere near Andalusia, Alabama. And so, you know, I did what any uh, God-fearing uh, American holiness pastor would do. I pulled the car off the side of the road and said, give me that map. <laughs> and I studied the map deeply and realized I was on the wrong road and we needed to make a turn. And so I made that turn. I turned the car around, got off the wrong road intentionally, to get on the right road intentionally. That, brothers and sisters, is what the Bible means when it talks about repentance. Moses begins this third sermon by saying here in verse 1, when all these things come upon you, what things? All what things? Well, you got to go back to chapter 29 to get the answer to that question. Look at verse 27 of Deuteronomy 29. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing it 
uh, upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord <clears throat> uprooted uh, them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land. Now, why did God do that to this people to whom he's making all these promises? Well, God had warned them just a few verses earlier in chapter 29. Look at verse 18. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman, a clan or a tribe whose heart is what? Say it out loud. Turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. There it is. Beware lest there be uh, any among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the uh, words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. Moses says, you better be careful about that poisonous and bitter root or fruit that he speaks of here. That's secret sin, secret sin. The person who thinks, I'm all right, I'm good. Nobody knows about this but me. Nobody knows about what's going on in my life but me. And you make a choice, as Moses says, to walk in the stubbornness of your own heart. Heaven help us for thinking that what we do in the privacy of our own secret places is our own business or that nobody knows about it but us. Can I say here today, God knows. God knows. God not only knows what you're doing, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what's going on in every dark and secret place of your life. And that'd be the tendency of Israel, and Moses knew it <clears throat> from day one. And he's letting them in on it before they ever relocate into the promised land. Sin brings brokenness. Sin breaks fellowship. Sin brings judgment. This is why the Bible teaches, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Moses said, whatever you do, don't let your heart turn away from the Lord, because there are always consequences when that happens. Now, when Moses is talking to the people here, he's using covenant language. He's talking to them as a group, fundamentally. He's speaking to the nation as a whole, his covenant nation, his covenant people, if y'all turn from God and if y'all adopt the practices of your neighbor, God's going to sweep you away. And it doesn't matter, moist and dry alike. Well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't matter if you live in the coastal plain, whether you have a big house that has a Mediterranean view, or whether you live in the arid region of the wilderness of Judea. It doesn't matter. No matter where you live in this land, if you disobey God, you will be swept away. And here's the thing. Y'all still with me? Say amen. What was true for the nation corporately is true for the individual follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will always be consequences for the secret sin of your life. Always consequences for idolatry. Always consequences for disobedience. And that's why repentance is necessary. Repentance is necessary because of sin. Sin brings brokenness in terms of our fellowship with God. Now, the positive side of that, however, too, is that repentance is necessary because it alone can bring forgiveness. 
if fellowship is broken with God, the only thing that can restore a relationship with God is God, for God to forgive that transgression. And this is why repentance is so important because it's necessary to gain God's forgiveness. And this is why, again, repentance is not a full-letter word. It's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful spiritual concept. It's a grace gift from God. It's God's divine light to find our broken way back to him, to get our life back on the right trajectory. Never forget that God is a holy God. We talked some about God's holiness and justice last week, how God judges sin. God is a holy God who in his justice and because of his justice must and will judge sin. But here's the thing. Alongside the justice of God, you have the love and compassion and mercy of God. A God who would rather forgive than judge. Somebody say amen. A God who longs to forgive. Not only a God, that's an important concept. Not only a God that looks to forgive, but a God that longs to forgive. A God that wants to restore the years that the locust have devoured. But in order to be forgiven, there is the requirement of repentance. Forgiveness is just not a blanket thing with God. He makes a way possible for forgiveness to occur. And forgiveness is stage, or repentance rather, is stage number one. Moses tells the people here in chapter 30, when all these things come upon you, now notice what he said, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, then the Lord your God will what? Have mercy on you. Peter says it this way in his temple sermon in the third chapter of the book of Acts. Look at Acts 3 and verse 19. Peter says, repent therefore and turn back. Circle the phrase turn back because it's really a repetitive phrase. What Peter says there is repent and repent unto God. It's It's like an emphatic statement. Because remember, the word repent means to turn. So he says, repent, therefore, and turn back. Turn back and turn back that your sins may be what? Blotted out. That's right. Now, in Moses' days, giving the statement to the nation, in the book of Acts, that's more directed to us as individual people. But both communicate the same thing. Sin causes us to turn away from God, bear the consequences. Forgiveness is given when we turn back to God, uh, away from our sin, back to God in a full commitment to worship and serve him only. And again, notice this is much more than just feeling sorry for what you've done. This is an active turning marked by a, wholehearted repentance and a wholehearted and complete obedience. Did you see what Moses said here? With all your heart and with all your soul. That's what marks true repentance. So this is true for God's people as we walk along the road of faith. I mean, if you're here today, how many of you here today know for sure that you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Would you say amen? Well, there's gonna be times, and you've had times like these happen probably in more ways than you can count, where you blow it, right? And where you've just drifted away from the Lord or walked intentionally or gotten angry with God or whatever, turned you back to God and you find yourself 
in a web of sin. Anybody ever had that happen? Say amen. And this is where repentance comes into play for the child of God. This is why it's a discipline, something that we need to be attuned to every day of our life in our abiding relationship with Christ. But for those of you here today and watching today who don't know the Lord, you don't have a personal relationship with God, you've never been born again. Repentance is absolutely essential when it comes to salvation. For you cannot be saved, you cannot be born again without repentance and the confession of sin unto God. This is the sense in which Jesus and the apostles tended to use it as we read about it in the gospel accounts and in the letters of Paul. When they talk about repentance, much of the time, not all of the time, but much of the time in the preaching of Christ and the early preaching of the apostles, they're preaching to lost pagan people. And so when they use concepts like repentance, they're using it in an initial sense to heighten people's awareness that they are lost and far from God and the only way back to God is an active turning away from sin and idolatry and an active turning toward God to embrace him as God alone, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And let me just say, when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is drawn near, he's not making a suggestion. It's a Greek imperative. It's a commandment. This is something you must do. Repent. For God's kingdom is at the door. And that's why repentance is necessary for a relationship with God. Mark it down. Christian legitimacy depends on repentance. If salvation is viewed as a highway, kind of like Jesus said it, that narrow way that leads to life, can I say it this way? Repentance is the on-ramp to the highway of salvation. It's how you get on it. It's how you find that narrow way. Again, because repentance is necessary for the forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1, 9 is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. If we confess our sin, in fact, let's just say this verse together. Together, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a great promise from God? If we confess, God will forgive, but it has to be a confession that's based on true and genuine repentance, an active turning away from sin and idolatry to the one true God of heaven and earth for the purpose of worshiping and serving him alone. Y'all still following me closely? Would you say amen this morning? Repentance is necessary because of the brokenness of sin. Repentance is necessary in order to gain the forgiveness of God. Then the final thing I would remind you from Moses' address here is that repentance is necessary to restore God's blessing. It's necessary <clears throat> to restore God's blessing. I don't think that you have to be a prosperity gospel preacher to say publicly, I want to live in the active wake of the blessing of God. I want to live in God's best blessing. I don't want God to have to withhold a, a thing from my life that he considers his absolute, I want the very best that God can offer me. Moses tells the people that when they sinned uh, and, and then when they recognized it and then when they turned back to God, not only would the Lord show them mercy and compassion that issued in forgiveness, but look what he says in verse three. 
Then the Lord your God will what? Restore your fortunes. And he will gather you again from all the people where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now that's obviously what we would call a prophetic statement. Those of you that have been careful readers of the Old Testament know that that's what's going to happen. They're, they're going to rub shoulders with their neighbors eventually. Uh, many of them uh, and many of those clans are going to adopt pagan practices. All you have to do is read the books of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, and you know they make one terrible choice after another, and they end up being conquered, first by the Assyrians, later by the Babylonians, and what do the Babylonians do? They cart them out of the land, moist and dry alike. They're removed and taken into exile. This is why we call Moses a prophet, because he's making a very prophetic statement here. Moses knew it and God knew it. They would disobey. The people would eventually sin and they would be uprooted and they'd be displaced to a land that was not theirs. And yet, even in the sovereignty of God with that foreknowledge, <clears throat> God in his grace, even before they'd taken the land, reminds the people in ways that they probably didn't get fully I'm going to make a way back to me. I love you that much. I'm not going to wipe you off the face of the earth. I'm going to make a way back to my blessing. Notice what he says here in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 9. The Lord your God will make you abundantly, what? Say it out loud. Prosperous. In all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, in the fruit of your cattle, in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you what? Obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now again, this is not a prosperity gospel. I don't believe in a prosperity gospel. But I believe in a God who can prosper his people. And there's a big difference between the two. Prosperity gospel says everybody who follows God in genuine faith will become rich. You can't get that out of the Bible. And common sense tells you that that's not even true. But what the Bible does teach is that repentance and the obedience that follows genuine repentance brings what one writer calls a life, I love this statement, a life crowded with innumerable blessings. Amen. A life crowded with innumerable blessings. And again, this was Peter's message in Solomon's portico, in Acts chapter 3, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, forgiveness, but then notice verse 20, that times of what? Say it out loud. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Anybody here need a blessing from God today? Amen. See, this is one of the most important takeaways, the most popular story Jesus ever told. The parable of the prodigal son. Hey, hey, hey. See, that story is a picture of somebody whose life trajectory got knocked totally off course. He wanted to do it his way, which was sin's way. He lost his way. 
And he ended up way off course, lost and far from home, ended up dancing the two-step in a hog pen. But it's a wonderful story about how somebody whose life got knocked off trajectory can turn it around and come home again. You can find your way back to the Father. And the way back to the Father always begins with repentance. What happened to that man? The Bible says that young man came to his senses. That's conviction. He came to his senses. And he says, I'm going home. He turns back to his father. And when he turns back to his father, what does he find? Oh, it's a beautiful story. He finds, first of all, that his father receives him eagerly. Father had been looking for him. And when he saw him coming from a distance, he got up and he goes running to meet his son. Not only does the father meet him eagerly, the father meets him tenderly. The Bible says he has compassion on him. He forgives him, smothers his face with kisses, embraces him in a crushing kind of way. The father received him eagerly. The father received him tenderly. The father received him lavishly. He showered his life with blessing upon blessing, the best robe, the best shoes, put the signet ring on him as a sign of authority, and then threw him the mother of all parties, which included the killing of the fatted calf. Man, isn't that beautiful? See, that's repentance, <clears throat> and that's what God, how God responds to repentance. The Father not only received him, the Father restored him. And that's what Moses said God would do with Israel. And that's what God's promised to do to all who turn to him in genuine faith. A good reminder here is a very popular verse in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. A verse, by the way, that has nothing to do with the United States of America. It has everything to do with God's people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? Turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You see that? Repentance, forgiveness, restoration. That is the heart of Moses' message to God's people. And this is the power of God to bless and to restore. It's a promise of God to sinful people just like you and me by God's grace through the necessary discipline of repentance. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's God's word, brothers and sisters, and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen.